everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where a bunch of writers sit around drinking and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today, your hosts are Chaz and Karen Brenchley, David Welsh, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 101, Interview with Jordan Heron. Welcome, Jordan. Hi there. I, I love that I it's to... 101 here somehow, too. 101. Am I allowed to point out that I'm drinking Ryan Coke, not coffee? Yes. No choice. I'm on coffee. wine. We're on wine. We're drinking wine. Yeah. Red coffee is the best coffee. It's true. Hey, I'm wearing my t-shirt today that says that. Are you? Yeah. You want my words on your chest. Indeed. <laughs> well, Jordan makes movies. He started acting in commercials, sewing up for casting calls, and then discovered what he was really good at directing. And then he needed scripts. So he adopted short stories into scripts and then has written some of his own. And it's it's a perfectly logical progression, right, Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. Progression. That's it. Deliberate. I'm sure this was entirely your, your career to somehow end up at the Academy Awards, right? Right. I, I came fully formed from the forehead of my mother going, hey, maybe I could make a short film. I, yeah. I love some that you've done. You have been to with, uh, I believe it's Barn 11 Productions. Yes. You guys have been oh. to a lot of international film. What's the word? Festivals. 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 Yes, we, we've been to quite a few. None that you'd have heard of. But, you know, still, we, we, we like to pride ourselves in going somewhere. Well, it's an international film festival just by itself. And you just say that and people will imagine all sorts of exotic, wonderful places with movie stars. If we're starting with the festival stories, um, I the first festival I went to, uh, I was nominated as a supporting actor in a short film. And it was down the road from Nice, France. So it's like, uh, so where are you going? Oh, we're going to a, a film festival in Nice. You're going to <laughs> You're going to the Nice Film Festival? Well, no, not the Nice Festival. <laughs> a festival that is in Nice. And all of my friends went, well, that's close enough. <laughs> we took the train to Nice to look at the real festival, which was opening the next week. And we stood on the red carpet, well, as close as we could get to the red carpet without annoying the security guards. Mm. Um, and we went back to our festival. So what kind of, what kind of movies do you make? That would, you know, bring you to a film festival in Nice. What, you know, what genre, what, are they music? Are they acting involved? Do you act in them? Tell us about your movies. Well, that, that first one, I was, I was an actor. I was recruited by um, some guys I had never known. Uh, they, they found my demo reel online somewhere and said, hey, we should talk to him. Um, and it, this was very early in my acting career. And and it was a real boost. Um, I had a couple of really early boosts in my career, which is why I'm still trying to do it, even though I've, I've been mostly a failure. Initial <laughs> successes gave me hope. And I, I I don't have the initial success anymore, but I still have that hope. Um, really, that's the worst thing that can happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pandora's box. It was the scariest <laughs> thing. <laughs> From a career move. Yes. I, I was interested in being an actor. And uh, if you're an actor, you usually do narrative fiction. Um Actors aren't really needed in documentaries or in you know music videos or things like that, except as you know background people or whatever. So narrative fiction was what I assumed I would do as an actor, uh, and these guys recruited me. the the uh, The ego boosting bit I was going to tell you about is is there wasn't an audition per se. They called me and said we they wanted to meet 
for coffee somewhere and just talk to me. So we talked and I said, so what's the process from here? And they said, someone else we have to talk to next week. And then two days later, they called me and said, we've decided you've got the part. I said, you were supposed to see someone next week. Well, after we saw you, we really just canceled all the others. Yay. (laughs) Wow. That was the real ego boost. And I was playing a, you know, low-level drug lord who was seriously off his nut. Well, wait a minute. Let's back up then because, you know, maybe it wasn't such a compliment now. <laughs> maybe you seem typecast to them as a off-the-nut but drug lord. When, well, it's it's the hair and the beard and, you know, the old scraggly, you know, white guy routine. The, the funny thing is that when I started acting, it depends on how much backstory you want here. I decided in very late in life, through a bizarre series of happenstance that the entertainment industry was cool and that would be fun. And I was going to be an actor. And then I thought, well, what are all the things that are, are tangential to acting that I might end up having to do? And I thought, you know, I could do a comedy routine. So I started gathering up things that were happening to me as a new actor uh, that I thought were funny. And to Dave's point, one of them was, how deflating it is when you have been cast as background as a homeless person and you walk up to wardrobe and makeup and hair and they go, Oh no, you're good. Thanks. I think. So yeah. Being typecast as the insane drug Lord who's going to get murdered by his number one henchman may not be a shining recommendation for my character, but you know, or maybe even my acting, if they just thought I was like that all the time. <laughs> so what movie was this? Oh, it was a short film called First is the Worst. It was, I don't know if, I honestly don't know if the guys were making it as a, as a hopefully we will make this into a larger show um, if we can get funding. Because I did point out that they had killed me. So <laughs> if they got funding for a larger show, I didn't care. I wasn't in it anyway. (laughs) There's there's always zombie possibilities in some of these. Right. And twin brothers and all those other improbable devices. They Well, the TV TV show Supernatural is both the dream and the bane of all actors because you can die and never leave the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a good point. And I would love to do that. On the other hand, if the demon switches bodies, your character can live and you're still out. Right. Well, no, your character's still there, but we're not using your your meat suit anymore. Yeah. So it, it cuts both ways. Yeah, yeah but yes. the, the show went off the air last year. Yes, so. finally. No, but yeah, there could that's, be more. <laughs> that's the only fifteen season show that I have all the DVDs for. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a lot. So can we can we can we find your films on YouTube or something? Are they out there? Not the no. end of the world is on wait. Amazon. Yeah, wait, you're in you're in you're in America. Yes, you're in America. <laughs> Am I not supposed to say that? I'm in Canada. I believe I have two short films on Amazon Prime, but I don't know. I can't see them because they're on the U.S. Yeah. side and not on the Canadian side. The first one that we did was not the end of the world. Yeah. Are, how nepotistic are we allowed to be here? Very. Oh, yeah. we pimp ourselves Extremely. all the time. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's Jeannie's short story. Um, yeah. The thing she alluded to. I've got, I could back up and tell you another story of how we got to not the end of the world. Um, but the other one is called Missy. Missy is on prime Missy. And Missy is something that I actually wrote. There was a, a, an awesome website. I think it still exists in Canada where if you 
were an aspiring writer but didn't know what to do, you could go to this website and it would randomly generate a plot line <laughs> from Canadian stereotypes. Oh, I love so it. So I literally, I went to this website and I clicked on it. It was like a, a Saskatoon girl travels across the country and lives in a Nova Scotia uh, lighthouse. It's like, well, I don't Wait, Was this associated with the Canada Film lighthouse. Board? I'll or click again. <laughs> so I just kept clicking until it, I, I hope not. Anyway, I clicked on it until it came up with an old man and his dog reminisce about the the good youth that may never have existed while they drink a Tim Hortons coffee. And I went, I can write that. I have a dog. There's a Tim Hortons nearby because I'm in Canada. So there's always a Tim Hortons nearby. Yeah, it's true. So uh, I wrote something. And unlike real writers who I like to think have a plan, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that was the most successful writer in the crowd yelling. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's an ongoing uh, theme of our, of our podcast here, planning versus not planning or, right. or plotting, plotting versus pantsing as, as we call it and hate we've, to call it. And want we've decided to, to call, call it organic growth instead of pantsing. Right. So uh, you're an organic growth sort of writer as opposed well, I, to the plotters. I think you should seriously plot out a feature film. But when you're writing a short, I just start writing and see where it goes. And I've done two, I've done two shorts like that that have been um, moderately successful, in my opinion. Um, and that was one of them. I just started writing. And, and it ended up being a very touching piece about a guy who was dying, or perhaps already dead, depending on how metaphorical you think the film is, and who was coming to terms with that the end of his life and his dog is there to to take him literally you know to the other side when he's ready he's a psycho pump i love it's a touching little piece and there's it's all narration from the old man's point of view so we didn't have to worry about syncing up sound when we were filming yeah, it's it's a lovely little piece. It's, it's also out there, so I'm going to put a link to it so people yeah. can yeah. find it more. Jordan, 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 I have a really important question for you. Do you get residuals if we watch it on Prime? That would be a theoretical yes, but I think Prime, you need like 100 million views to earn a nickel. We can uh, do that. This is a podcast. <laughs> this is a podcast. It's going out to millions, I tell you. Yeah. Well, these, these short films have in-paper distribution. I have signed them over for X number of years to a Canadian partner who is partnered with somebody in New York, who I believe put them on Amazon Prime. It's not like they tell me these things. And and every quarter I get a statement from them telling me how I don't get any money. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's fine. I mean, it's a short film. I never expected to make money from it. That's that's not really the purpose with most short films. Okay, uh, so um, is it the case that most short films are made with a view to catching the eye of the guy who can get you to make a long film, a feature film. Is, I mean, are they seen as stepping stones or are they a thing in themselves? They are an art form in themselves. They really are. But the short answer is yes. Every short film producer I know wants to make features. Right. The funny thing is, the uh, I go to a couple of, well, I did go to a couple of festivals in Europe back when we were allowed to travel. Uh, and I hope to go back again. The funny thing is that the particular film circuit I like to go to is, is filmmaker focused. There's like the public just doesn't show up. I mean, there's there's a few ads around town saying free film festivals show up and nobody does. 
But the film <laughs> festival, the filmmakers show up and, and it's a networking thing. And it's mostly it's a mutual drinking and support uh, uh, gig, you know, like, hey, how much money have you spent on this? Are you ever going to get ahead? No. Are you ever going to quit? No. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing in the bar. Um, but the funny thing is, when I look at the schedule, the people who are like, I finally made a feature film, please come and see it. And I'm like, I could see your feature film or I could see these eight short films. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go see the eight short films. <laughs> um, the funny thing is we all want to make a feature. And once we do, nobody wants to look at it because it takes too long, <laughs> which is actually a benefit with the COVID. The, the festivals that I particularly like to go to have moved online. I actually get to see more films now sitting at my computer in Canada than I used to when I would, when I would fly to Spain, I mean, there's only so many hours in a day and you want to do some sightseeing and eating and drinking, whatever. Um, now the festival's online and I, I can watch all kinds of stuff more than I ever did when I was there. So I'm really hoping that we continue a hybrid model once we go back to traveling. The, the film circuit I really like, I, I guess I should mention them. Uh, it's the Fusion Festival. Fusion North is in London, England. South is in Valencia, Spain. East is in... Warsaw and West is in Brussels. And I've been to this the Spanish one and to and to the Warsaw one. But I can only afford to go like to one or two a year if I'm lucky. But if they go into a hybrid model online, I, I get to go to all of them. Some of them mm-hmm. in person and some of them at home. That sounds like a lot of fun. So talking of affording things, can you talk a bit about budgets and and how you raise them and and yeah, where the money comes from and how much it's likely to be. and Or, or is it just so very different for every film that you can't? Um, it, is, it is very different for yeah. every film. So you, you can't make too many generalizations. Yeah. But every short film I do, I'm a project manager by trade and during the day to pay the bills. So doing a plan and a budget. I mean, I, if I was going into the film industry for real, I really should be a line producer. But of course, you know, at my age, it's hard to find a, somebody who's willing to pay me enough money to do it when I've never done it before. Um, so your point is when I do every, uh, every time I do a short film, I do a budget, a full on budget. And I say, okay, I'm going to need these people. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this. This is how much the industry rates are. Da, 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 da. And this film is going to cost me $40,000 to make. And then I look at how much I'm actually going to pay people <laughs> and who I can get for free. And the fact is that I know that I put in X amount of money for directing and acting, which I'm doing and I'm not paying myself. So you can do a short film for literally nothing. Sure. If you have the right people, the right resources. You know, I went to a festival once that had an independent feature film and they did the feature film for 17,000. You know, whereas my first short film cost me more than that. Yeah. And I, I do break the cardinal rule of filmmaking, which is don't pay for your yeah, own stuff. Indeed. And I do. Uh, the, the very first film, you know, I, I feel I talked a little bit too much about Missy because then I, 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 I shortchanged Jeannie here. My very first short film was an adaptation of, as I said earlier, uh, Not the End of the World, which is a short story that Jeannie wrote. And I literally, I, I don't want to, I don't want to diss Jeannie here. I oh, go on. We love oh, it. Go oh, do ahead. it. Do it. I am Aunt I, Nikki in that film. I'll have you know they can hear my I, voice. I had I had read an, a, a few of Jeannie's stories. She had been kind enough to send them to me, and I read not the end of the world. And I didn't go, my God, this is the best one. I didn't go, 
oh my god this this story is wonderful i went oh my god i could do this yeah. <laughs> like it's Wait. a guy and an angel in a house and in a driveway i have a house i have a driveway and a car i can find a guy you know to play an angel i can do all of these things so although i did like the story it was not my favorite story it was just the one i figured i had the means to do and what it, i did it tentacles are harder it's true yeah it is it is i i still want to do the fishwife but you know that's going to need a budget um, <laughs> So I did up a full budget. And, and as I said, it was in the $40,000 range. Mm. Then I got, I, I, I reached out to some friends and I got people to you know, like cut rates, but I paid them. Everybody who worked on that film got paid by me out of my pocket. So here's the thing. And this is where Barn 11 Productions came from that Jeannie referred to earlier. After we did Not the End of the World, the core of the team, meaning the guy who owned all the camera equipment and his wife, who is his assistant and, uh, and a friend of mine who acted as first assistant director, they came to me and said, we know you don't have any money, but we had so much fun. Let's do it again. So I have made every f- short film since that first one with the same crew. And we only pay you if we don't like you. Like <laughs> if you're part of the team, if you're working for free, it's because you're one of us. If we need an actor to do a bit part, you know, like, well, we got to pay him because we don't want to cut him into this team. Right. So some people, they come, we pay them, they go away. But the core of the team is like three or four people and no one gets paid. We're doing this for fun and we're doing it for each other and we're doing our own material. Mm-hmm. And genies when I can. Yes. You know. Yes, indeed. Um, so when you talk about short films, are these on film stock or are they all digital? No, everything's digital. I could never have done this. That's what I was digital age. Yep. That's what I was wondering. Carol was pointing out that there are great cameras built right into people's phones. If you yep. just turn it sideways and start shooting these days. And you can do that. You're right. There have been feature films done on iPhones, but to me, that's a gimmick. Unless you're so poor that all you have is a phone, then fine, use a phone. But a 4K digital camera, 4K is the new standard. Sure. But a 4K digital camera is like 800 bucks. If you wanted to, it's, it's probably cheaper than the best iPhone. But, you know, if, if I had to buy film stock and a film camera or rent a film camera. And then I, there's the I, editing. I just couldn't do this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Yeah. Is that long, long, long ago, um, when I was like 14, I decided I was going to make movies. And I, I read, I think, um, a book that talked about how, you know, how to write a script. And I very carefully wrote scripts. And I got my high school buddies to be in one of the movies. One was a Western and one was a science fiction movie. And we did them on the first one on reel-to-reel videotape and the second one oh, nice. on on, on a cartridge videotape and we showed them on the um, community access television station uh, because every city in the, in the United States has a community access television station as part of the cable stuff so that anyone can show anything on it. And so I actually had fans um, who would call into this uh, there and say, you haven't played, it came from a test tube in a while. Will you play it again? But that, but yeah, it was the, well, the thing is I actually showed, um, 
my science fiction movie uh, to Kate Elliott, actually, who's a friend of mine. And she watched it. She's very polite. She actually watched it. And then she, she looked thoughtful as she does and says, that was very well written. <laughs> well, anyway, my, my point of going there is there are other, there's so many different ways uh, these days of showing your movies. Do you know, have you explored those? Do any of those pay? You know, is the only way to to get an audience for the movies you've made the way you have set up, or what's available out there to, you know, if I wanted to make another science fiction movie, some in my dotage, what what's available? The, I'm not I'm not exactly the expert on this. One of the problems with being a film, well, you you've pointed out a, a double edged sword. There are so many ways that you can get online. The blessing is that anybody can do it. And the tragedy is that everybody does it. The tragedy is that everybody does it. Um, So how you get found or noticed or viewed in this world is very difficult. And I I have a full-time day job to pay the bills. I have a part-time day job working for my wife. And I live on a small horse farm, which, you know, is an evening job. So when I want to make a film, I want to make a film. I don't want to run a YouTube channel. I don't want to curate an OnlyFans site, you know? Yeah. Because I think OnlyFans would be an awesome place to go. Hey, cuisine, strippers, and me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to to dig back to an idea that you had there because I was thinking if somebody said, hey, I want to make films, or I want to write a screenplay because, man, ever since I took that class on screenplays, everybody's talking about them. Yeah. It strikes me that if you were going to start making a film that almost like Damien Trassler was saying, look around and say, what do you have and what will be easy? Like when we yeah. were talking about a full length horror strip and I said it in the past, you're like, oh, Jeannie, you had $50,000 just by making it not in the present tense. So that just that scene. Yeah, just that scene. So <laughs> yeah. So yes. so suddenly think to yourself, I want to write the Martian. Yeah, no, you don't. Not right now, not for your not first right now. Thing. <laughs> no, and, and and that is literally why I, I adapted Not the End of the World first, because I could do that. Missy, I, I wrote and we made that film because I could do that. My second film or, or third, the third significant short film. Is called GPS, which is not yet available anywhere because it's still trying to desperately crawl through the festival circuit. That's a guy whose whose dead mother is haunting the GPS in his car. Again, oh, cool! Again, easy an easy thing to film. You know, we needed my car, a GPS, and a cemetery. I have all these things around here. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Now, I I have to say that out on barn11productions.com, I find that you have Rhode Island Dead, Mm. (laughs) Chicken Run meets Blade Runner, film noir detective of a chicken. We have not made that one yet. We got bogged down in (laughs) (laughs) pre-production. Did you have to keep eating the main stars or... Well, we no the the chicken you if, if you saw the the photo of that chicken he's long dead i have one of his relatives um <laughs> but i don't know if we'll use that but we really got bogged down we had a really great time planning that and we have some props made i've got like you know a a, a table full of props out in the studio <laughs> studio is a grand word for one end of my barn where i store my film stuff Really? Uh, is it Barn 11 by any chance? It is. That's <laughs> that's where the name came from. 
We live on what was part of a commercial fryer chicken operation. So on my property, I have barns 11 and 12. (laughs) And and the neighbor has two. I don't know what number hers are because I haven't gone over to look. And we don't know where the rest of them are. But we were we were actually making Missy when we named the project because it was like, you know, we've got it. We, we need a name for our production company. And somebody looked over and went, well, it's Barn 11 here. And su- surprisingly, everybody who was on set that day went because we were shooting literally in front of Barn 11. Um, somebody said, well, that's the name then Barn 11 Productions. And it stuck. And, and it's actually now incorporated. Barn 11 Productions Incorporated is a film production company here who, who that has never made a dime. But tell me, two dogs fucking, why do you ask that question? <laughs> what do you find uh, that draws you towards directing rather than acting or writing or the whole damn thing? Because I can make it happen. And that's part of the project management part of my brain, I guess. Sure. My job, My job is to make things happen. And I would love to be an actor. I would love to have someone call me up and say, hi, we'd like you to come and work. Here's the money pile of money we're going to give you. And I would, I wouldn't, I mean, that would be easy. I would love to do, I mean, not that acting is easy. I want to (laughs) piss off the real actors who are listening. Um, I understand that acting is a job, a hard job, but it's something I could do. Someone else would, would create the environment and then hire me to act there. And I would love that. But since nobody is hiring me to do that, I am going to make that happen. Um, I am going to write a short film. I mean, the, the, the first short film was just meant to be a vehicle for me. I wanted to act in Not the End of the World. And, and that would be me. And well, who's going to do this? Well, nobody's going to do this unless me does it. So I said, I'm going to direct. I'm going to produce. I knew nothing about any of this. The two people on my team who actually had done this before were very kind and helpful and uh, and they let me pretend that I was in charge and and I learned learned an awful lot and to your question I found that I enjoyed the creative process of making the film I I was raised as a science and math geek in high school and our homeroom called our chemistry teacher mom Um, Uh I, I did not do arts I played piano but I didn't I didn't ever feel like an artist and the very first time I went to the Milton Film Festival, which is a local film festival near here, and I got to stand on stage and introduce Not the End of the World, I went, I'm an artist. Hey. I've never said that before in my life, and that's really weird. And, <laughs> and I then said, and if I can do it, any of you can. It's a lot of fun. You should all go make a film. None of them did, which is fine, because I don't need the competition. Maybe none of them did yet. Yet. At least not that I've seen, not at that festival. But yeah, I I find that I like, I mean, I like the logistics of running a film production because that's my wheelhouse in project management. I like the acting when I do that part. I'm I'm really getting to love editing, to making a story out of the bits of film that I've got. It's it's an awesome process. And And it's sad that you can't be an expert in all of them and, and, kind of make a living in all of them. I mean, you know, a feature film is too big for one person to do all of that, but it would be fun to write, direct, edit, <laughs> you yeah. know, your, your, your whole feature. And I'm, and I'm sure they're independent who have done that. And it's been, I'm See, sure they wanted help. <laughs> you mentioned once that many people's first feature film is thereby horror is why is that? There's a common belief 
that horror sells and has a really good ROI, return on investment, you can spend $50,000 making a horror film and there will be an audience for it. Um, Not everyone believes this, but a lot of people do. And so that's why... That's why a lot of people do a feature film as their uh, their first feature film as a horror because it's relatively cheap to do and uh, and there's supposedly uh, a good audience for it out there. But again, getting back to my previous statements, I don't want to be a distributor. I don't want to be a content curator. I don't want to run you know my own YouTube channel or whatever platform. I want to make a movie and then either put it on the shelf and go, Hey, I made a movie that was cool or have someone else sell it or do something with it. Yeah. I'm I'm much the same. I was fascinated by the notion of self-publishing once it became actually practical. Yes. Um, But I don't want to have to pick a cover and choose a, choose a typeface and yada, yada, do da, do da. I want someone else to do that for me because what I'm good at is writing. Hmm. See, I would do all that stuff. It's the selling part that I don't like. Yeah, I don't like that either. You universally need somebody who really enjoys sales. And it's tough. I mean, I was at a, I was at a, a, an online festival. The, the online festivals, I, I tend to hang out with the, that European group. They had this guy who's like, we have a platform meant for independent filmmakers. You submit stuff to us and, you know, we curate, we do all this. You know, we do all the stuff for it. We love you independent short filmmakers. And I went, this is cool. And I submitted my film and a month later I got a Thank you, but we don't have a need for your content at this time. Oh, fuck yeah. off. <laughs> I, I've seen a few of those. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm, Send us something right now. We will publish everything. Liar. Right. Yeah, and, <laughs> and when I got their email, I, I, it's like, you know, well, if these guys don't want me, I'm done. <laughs> Tell what are you working on now? Put them aside. They're dead to us. What do you actually want to do next? Okay, so the only thing I've done during COVID is I put together um, what my uh, uh, other producing team calls my bovine snuff film. Uh, uh, years ago, one of my trips to Spain, actually it was the first film festival I went to in Madrid. We went to see a bullfight. And, and you know, that that has all kinds of ethical connotations. But the one in our one of one of the people in our party said, we should go see this before it's illegal. So so we went and I took a, you know, dinky little camcorder along with me and I filmed a bunch of the fights. And I, I am not overly sentimental. I mean, I've hunted for meat. I understand that things live, things die. I vegans have a lot of respect for me, but I'm never going to be one. But I saw this and I watched the bull through these fights I, I watched what happened and i watched him die and i thought you know someone needs to put poetry behind this and uh and so i i emailed the bullfighting arena and i said hi i have some footage and i'm going to make a short film and they wrote back absolutely not you will not do that hmm. and i went okay and so i put it away and then in the pandemic it's like i can't film anything i can't film anything you know what screw them <laughs> They're never going to see the film. If they do, they can send me a cease and desist and I'll take it down. So I edited together the film. I had a friend of mine read Khalil Gibran's uh, The Beauty of Death. And I put them together and I sent it out to a film festival. So I did that during COVID because I didn't have to leave the house to do it. And and that's meant to be just thought provoking. It's not an anti-bullfighting film, although... Although the Coliseum probably thinks of it. That way, if they they ever see it. They do. 
Um, but it's kind of just put out there without comment. But so we were actually starting to make a film when COVID hit. And then during COVID, although not COVID related, my director of photography died. Aww. Um, yeah, uh, he, he won two uh, cinematography awards <laughs> for my production company um, doing our short films. He was really awesome. And he was one that helped me the most get into this business. And so his wife, who was writing the short film we were working on, has said, I really have to rethink this. And, and we want to pick that one up again. But we're in the middle of COVID. That's, a, that's something that's called What Remains. And that is on our radar for as soon as COVID seriously lifts. We have something called The Old Dog, which is not about a dog. It's about a guy who is coming to terms with a very dysfunctional family and the death of a father. And, and we're going to film that very soon, despite COVID, because that is literally a one person film. I'm the only actor in it. My producing partner is going to film uh, and do all that. And we're just doing it at my house. So we don't need film permits or insurance or any of that sort of stuff. That'll be easy to do. Um, so those are the, the two projects that are closest in on our radar. But we have so many things we want to do. Lawn Gnomes is another story that short story that Jeannie wrote. Um, and I ha I can see that in my mind. I've been able to see that in my mind since I read it. The, you know, we may actually get back to Rhode Island dead if we can figure out how we're going to do all the sets. for the chicken. <laughs> I, I'm the film noir chicken. I, I just, it would be epic. It would be a legend. I think. Jordan, how do you direct yourself? I don't anymore. The first film not the end of the world. I acted in it and I directed it. However, I mean, if you're Clint Eastwood and you have money, you can look, you can act a scene and then you can go and say, play that back for me. Everybody else, shut up, have a coffee. <laughs> when you're working with a team that either you don't have the money to pay or who is working for free, yeah. you really have to be respectful of their time. Yeah. So I, I counted on the first AD and the director of photography in not the end of the world to watch the screens, watch the monitors. And I would act. And at the end of it, I would look at those two and go, did we get it? And they'd say, yeah, we got it. When I got to the editing room, I went, oh, we didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> um, well. And then in Missy, I did almost the same thing. So when we went to GPS, it's like, no, I'm not doing this. I handed it off to Robin Goodfellow, um, my, my producing partner. And I said, you direct it. I've written it. I've gotten the script as far as I'm going to take it. Now I'm going to act in it. You direct it. You're, you have creative control. It was oh. a bit frightening. And the funny thing is when we got to our final, you know, we're, we're ready to roll. She goes, here's the final script. And I went, but, but, but I gave you the final script. <laughs> no, this is the director's final script. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's what creative control means. Yeah. So we filmed it. She edited it, or she and her husband edited it. They put it together, and I watched the film, and I went, you know, that's much better than what I had in my mind. So I got really lucky, and I've decided that I do not direct and act in the same film anymore. If I really want to direct a piece, then mm -hmm. i got to find other actors. Yeah. And if I really want to act in a piece, yeah. i got to find someone to direct it. Yeah, I think that's wise. Um, I've, n I've never understood how people do the, um, the well, two... I I wouldn't mind doing the two, but like I say, it would take twice as long to film. What? Because I would, after every take, I'd want to go and watch it. Well, we will put links to all of the movies that are on 
Amazon and your websites and the different things up on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. We will answer email. Jordan, if somebody has a question about how to do some of these things or where you got started, can I pass that email along? Would you be willing to answer them? Oh, Lord. I don't know why anyone would take advice from me. But <laughs> We're just saying... Or- you're oh, you'd too be surprised. Old to start being a filmmaker. You don't have to be a twenty-something running away to Hollywood. Are we supposed to talk about age? <laughs> <laughs> We're not twenty-one. We've said that before. Uh, no, I started acting very, very late in life. I did a bit of theater at my daughter's behest earlier, but I was like mid-fifties and you know laid off from my job. It's like, hey, I'm going to go and do background on set for fun, and I loved it. And I, I took some time. I tried to get an acting career together. It didn't work at least not from a financial point of view. So I went back to work in IT project management jobs, but I still act and make films because I learned during that attempt to have a career that I wanted to do it anyway. So yeah, you can start at any age. It may not be financially rewarding at any age, but you can do it at any age. It's all about the passion and love. And that's what I think we all do. You have to write because you want to. You have to be creative because you want to. And maybe you'll entertain somebody else along the way. Thanks for coming with us today, Jordan. I had a blast and I can just talk about me for hours. So, (laughs) Well, I think we should all camp together and drink rum and do that as soon as possible. Right. Thank you very much for the invitation, Jeannie. And thanks to everybody else here. Hi, this is great. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our sponsors are Art, Coffee, Chocolate, and Rum, and Jackal Designs, who just created a brand new 100 episode of Writers Drinking Coffee. So, 100 reasons to come love us and go buy the t-shirt. And hey, thanks for listening out there. Thank you.